Roth here with episode 25 of the Roth Revenue Podcast. This is the Influencers of Sponsorship Marketing, where I sit with business leaders to find out their story, their mentors, their insights, and personal and professional development advice. I'm starting the decade with a bang. My featured guest is Chris Overholt, President and CEO of Overactive Media Group, a global esports and entertainment enterprise with franchises in Overwatch, Call of Duty, and League of Legends. Chris's bio reads like a masterclass in career management. He started with the Raptors in 1996 and then moved on to senior sales and marketing roles south of the border with the Florida Panthers and Miami Dolphins before returning to Canada to lead the Canadian Olympic Committee through a period of unprecedented growth. He now sits at the reins of one of the most dynamic global esports organizations in the world. Our 30-minute conversation covered a variety of topics, including how he transitioned from insurance sales to sports marketing, what compelled Chris to leave the COC and join Overactive Media Group, a decision he calls the hardest of his career, insights into Overactive's eight-figure partnership with Bell, the opportunities he sees in esports, insights into sponsorships and partnerships he admires, his take on trends including 5G's impact on mobile gaming, and amazing professional development advice. I hope you enjoy, and for more episodes of the Roth Revenue Podcast, follow me on LinkedIn, visit Spotify, SoundCloud, or check out RothRevenue.com. Thrilled to be uh, sitting here with uh, Chris Overholt, who is President and CEO of Overactive Media Group uh, and a guest on my first episode of the new decade. So, Chris, thanks so much for making the time. My pleasure. Good to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Um, so, looking at your path, uh, you know, I can't help but think of it as like a, a master class in career management. I mean, you, you, you know, MLSE, the Panthers, the Dolphins, the COC, and now Overactive Media Group, and and great brands and progressive leadership roles. I have to ask, like, part planned, part opportunistic, or both? Really lucky. Yeah, really lucky. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I must say, I did get some good advice early in my career. Years before I started in the sport business, I was uh, I was in the insurance business. Actually, that's oh, where wow. I cut my teeth, learned how to learned how to be a professional salesperson, or so I like to think. And yeah. uh, um, I certainly worked for a couple of people in that industry that talked to me early days about kind of career management and thinking about you know being smart about moves and intentional around development and intentional around. You know, identifying growth opportunities in all of it. And, you know, you can have a great plan, but if you don't have great executive sponsors and great mentors to kind of help you along the way, then, you know, executing is a lot more difficult. So I've been, I would say I've been to some degree intentional, but you need a bunch of luck and you certainly need lots of uh, Lots of great help, and I've I've been fortunate in that way for and sure. We'll we'll maybe touch on that in, in a second. So I was I was thinking let's start with your current role, but I actually have, given what's going on with the, the the franchise you started with, I have to I get your opinion. You started with the Raptors. I think it looked like right after their in their their birth, about you know months or a year after, um, and did some very cool things there. Um, and and I have to ask you, watching what they've become, uh, that's got to be pretty cool. Yeah, so proud. And, uh, 
you know, I was there in uh, in very early days, as you point out. I joined them after the first season uh, when John Bitov was still the president, CEO, and very young president at the time. I think he was 34 years old. And, wow. And um, That's the norm now, right? Yeah, he was a trailblazer, yeah. yeah. It seems to be. But, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I joined John and, and, the, and the team there and uh, working for Michael Downey at yeah. the time. He was the vice president of sales and marketing and and uh, really not knowing a lick about about partnerships or marketing or anything. I remember Michael saying to me, um, you know, he, he said very modestly, he said, I don't know how to sell, but I do know marketing and you know how to sell, so we'll teach each other. Well, that was not an accurate statement. Michael knew how to sell. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He's very good at it, actually. Um, but he was good to his promise to me, which was to help me learn marketing on the fly. And then, of course, uh, John uh, exited uh, shortly thereafter, like within three months. Right. Uh, John exited, and Richard Petty arrived. And, wow. You know the uh, the pedigree of Richard Petty and and um, and Michael Downey as career package goods marketers and salespeople uh, was was a great opportunity for me. So yeah. But yeah, uh, when the when the team was playing its way to the championship last year, and uh, I certainly spent a lot of time texting and email with I'm sure. many of my colleagues who are now truly scattered all over the world. Hoppy, you know, right? Dave, uh, Dave Hopkinson in, uh, in Madrid and uh, where, you, where you have a, yeah, quite a footprint. <laughs> yeah, now we've got a business there and yeah. uh, I've seen more Hoppy in the last That's 12 great. months than I was going to ask you about that. Years. So yeah, uh, it's yeah. a great, it was a great experience, of course, a great learning, but more than that, it has produced some of the best relationships in my yeah. life and uh, yeah. people that I remain very, very close with to this day. So good stuff. A wonderful gift. Um, what, what led to, I didn't see the path before that. I know, I think you went to Western, um, but very briefly, what, how did you step into that level of role? Because it wasn't like you were an intern at, at yeah. the Raptors. Again, I think really lucky and, you know, that old adage about who you know, I, I had gone to school with Jordan Mitov. Yeah. The younger brother of yeah. that family. And, um, and Jordan and I were quite close, uh, while I was there, we actually ran, uh, we ran two student president campaigns together when I was at Western, um, and so forged a great relationship. And then uh, after we graduated, uh, we spent a little bit of time together, but it was mostly a distance. But evidence that it's important to stick to something. Um, I, I kind of forged a career in sales, and I was really quite enamored of, of the uh, experience I was having in the insurance business. At the five-year mark, you would have told me I was going to be a career salesperson in the insurance industry. But when it came time after the first year for the Raptors to start looking for truly professional sales help, yeah, you know, in Jordan's words in that first phone call to me, he's like, honestly, you're the only one I know that has stayed with sales coming out of school seven years later. Wow. So uh, Jordan just called me on the, yeah, I can remember him saying, tell me what you do again. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time I had actually left the insurance business. I was working for digital equipment. Anyway, I just in the in a nutshell, I just explained that I've been a career salesperson since we graduated, and he said, "Well, funny enough, that's exactly what we think we need." Mm. Uh, and then I owe a debt of thanks, as I tell him every time I see him. But Perry Lule was mm -hmm. at IMG at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, and Perry actually was Michael Downey's first choice. Mm. So Perry and I were one two. Perry was the first choice, but Perry was just getting ready to start his own business. I think with wow. Jack Nicholas Golf at the time. Okay. 
And so uh, Perry actually turned the job down that Michael offered him. Wow. And as a result, I was afforded the opportunity. I mean, it's so. like those uh, famous roles in movies. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, Somebody that's turned right. it down and it becomes you yeah. know, Harrison Ford and Han Solo, right? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so I thank Perry every time yeah. I see him. We're awesome. We're friends now. Great story. And Brian Cooper was obviously with the Raptors at the time heading business operations. And I'd met Brian through another friend. And, and so... You know, a little bit of luck meets opportunity. But Always, uh, right? Terrific. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, is there a mentor that you've mentioned great names? Is there a mentor that's helped you along the way that you kind of really stands out? Maybe oh, a couple names? Yeah, a few. Sure, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. yeah I mean, um, you know, I would tell you that I, I kind of grew up corporately as an executive at Richard Petty's Knee. And yeah. he gave me an opportunity to be a vice president on that team. I was still a young guy. I was in my 30s. And... Uh, and he and Tom and Selmy and Bob Hunter and Ian Clark spent a lot of time, you know, nurturing me through my mistakes and 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 coaching me uh, in, into what it what I think it meant to be as an executive, a sport executive. Mm. And in a lot of ways, I think Richard and uh, and the leadership team there, the executive leadership team there, uh, under those that I mentioned, were really shaping that conversation in the industry. I mean. Jim Lights and his group at Southwest Sports Group at the time down in Dallas and mm -hmm. um, AEG was just starting to take shape yeah, in LA. Yeah. But I, you know, I think Richard had a vision for building a sports and entertainment company, um, you know, that was really different and wasn't rooted in just the experience of former players leading an executive business right. operation. Running it as a business. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. And building brands yeah, and building talking brands. a lot about that every day with, you know, how we build fan bases and how we nurture emotional connection and all those things. The so, experience. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. learned a ton through Michael Downey first and certainly John, but then under Richard's leadership. And then, um, and then I got to the Dolphins and, uh, in fact, I was just emailing with him this morning. Uh, Joe Bailey was the CEO that hired me uh, to work for Wayne Heisinger in the group mm -hmm. in Miami. Mm -hmm. And it's Joe, a name I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, Wayne, did he, yeah. is he? Is he? Is no, he, he just passed in the he last did. couple of years. Yeah, um, but he was. Uh, you know, he acquired the Dolphins. I think in '87. Oh, he was such a prominent figure for so many years. American business legend. Yeah, that yeah, guy. I mean, yeah. you know, waste management, uh, Nations Rent, Auto Nation, later Swift. Uh, Swisher, um, yeah, I think developed and took public five companies Amazing. from scratch. Amazing. Uh, and at one time owned the Dolphins, the Marlins, and the Panthers. That's right. right? Yeah. So anyway, uh, he had hired Joe Bailey to head up a, a new effort around the Dolphins called Dolphins Enterprises, and Joe hired me, and we became fast friends. We just saw the world the same way, and again, really, uh, really great leader for me, great mentor, somebody who thought very broadly about about sports and entertainment on a global basis. Mm. And if not for Joe, I don't think I would have realized that it was a good idea to take the Olympic opportunity when Amazing. it came up. So those two in particular. That's great. But, uh, I'm sure you many, can go on and on. Yeah, exactly. So shifting to your current role, um, talk, you know, I've read a few few of the articles uh, in eSports Insider and Observer about, um, but maybe just tell the listeners what, what drew you to the space. I got a sense mm. of it from reading, but... Yeah. Yeah. So I was introduced to the idea of esports as a as a business opportunity in 2016. I was actually approached uh, uh, by a search firm in New York to go and meet with the people at Activision Blizzard. It was right after the Olympic Games in Rio, and um, and so uh, they were at the time getting ready to. They were building out their business model uh, for Overwatch League, and the recruiter had been tasked with the opportunity to. Um, 
to uh, fill the commissioner's role. And so I was approached about going right. to talk to Activision Blizzard about being the commissioner of the right, there's a lady, I've been following that. So there's somebody who came from traditional sports, right? A lady, I believe. Uh, well, yeah. So yeah. later, um, uh, Johanna uh, Ferris, right. Um, right. She was, uh, she's now the commissioner of the Call of Duty League. Call of Duty She was League. NFL That's 11 it. years. Gotcha. But um, anyway, I was introduced to the potential of all of this. And... Um, and uh, it really kind of caught my attention. In fact, if they had offered me the job, I would have taken it. Wow. I was really blown away. And mostly by the potential of the global audience and the scalability. And they had a really, they had a really sensible business model that, that you know, registered with me. They were basically mirroring the NBA and the NFL business model. You would buy a franchise if you were a franchise holder. You would then have a chance to participate in the growth of the leagues and mm -hmm. share in the revenues as they monetize the fan. And, um, so all of it made perfect sense to me. And then um, I actually went and met with David Stern. Um, wow. So Joe Bailey, my, uh, my boss in the Dolphins, said, I think you need to go see David because he, A, is you know, the dean of commissioners, and B, he's going, to, uh, he's going to tell you what the speed bumps are and what the potholes are. And, and um, so I went and spent an hour and a half with David Stern talking to him about what it meant to be the commissioner of the NBA wow. for 30 years. And, How special is that? Oh, in and light of just alone in his office, just the two of us. It was a very, it was That's a great gift. Cool. Yeah. So anyway, um, all of that to say, I got right down to the final interviews myself and another person, I don't know who it was. Uh, we were both being considered, and in the end, they passed on both of us and wow. um, filled the job internally with people that I'd interviewed with along Amazing. the way. Amazing. And then the reason all that's relevant is because then later, when I was approached about getting involved with this partnership, all the people that were making decisions about awarding to whom to award the franchises were the people that I had met with along the way, wow. and so it became very relevant to sure. uh, our success here. Sure, so, sure. the relationships, anyway, yeah. 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 So, uh, so that was 2016, and then the opportunity to get started in all of this was 2018. Very cool. So uh, we could talk forever about this, but I, I'll, I'll just ask it this way. What maybe some of the challenges of this space and and more were the what what excites you about yeah. what, this this world and you were recently named to this to, to governing body which I thought was mm. fascinating that they finally are putting some structure yeah. to it that's my uh, that's my Olympic world and my East right exciting and a lot of names from yeah. the Olympic yeah. space yeah. on yeah. there Charmaine right? Chris right. and a guy named Paul Foster who's uh, yeah former head of uh, IOC protocol yeah. so um, yeah well let's come back to that so the um, uh, the opportunity uh, in all of this as we see it is um, the scalability of a global audience so when you think about you know 100 years ago for the NFL or um, you know close to that number for the NBA I'm, I mean at that moment uh, or in that moment the idea of building a league was very much a North American even mm -hmm. American centric idea and look what they've become, right? And look Amazing. what those audiences have become uh, globally, yes, but you know certainly the importance that those sports have taken on in our culture and in, in, in our lives. All of that, I think, is true for an entire generation of fans in the case of eSport, except that it's global in its orientation and scales seemingly no infinitely. Border, no border, right? No, yeah. completely borderless. And evidence of that, for those who don't know, the Overwatch League, which is one of the leagues that we play in, has four teams in China, one in London, one in Paris, and one in Seoul, Korea. There are 20 teams in that league right now on its way to 28, and I expect that most of the rest of those eight teams will be from elsewhere in the world other than North America. Yeah. 
So, um, so we see the scalability of the audience, and of course, it, um, the interest in eSport and the scalability of that audience arrives at the very same time that we're watching new media platforms emerge, like Twitch, like uh, YouTube and Google, um, over-the-top platforms that, that make, again, the universe... I'll, I'll have to look those up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Universality of all of this just yeah. becomes, uh, the reach just becomes infinite, it seems. So, yeah. you know, we looked, at, uh, we looked at some case studies, and the NBA is a really good example, so uh, irrelevant to our discussion given my background in it. But in, in those years, in kind of the uh, mid to late 90s, early to mid, early to mid-90s, there were a number of transactions, for example, around NBA. Teams were bought and sold in that time. And I can remember, for example, um, Les Alexander bought the Houston Rockets for $9.8 million in, I think it was 97 or 98. That late? Yeah. Well, only and, that. Uh, <laughs> and on the other end of that spectrum, the, the Portland Trailblazers and the Boston Celtics, I think, were transacted for a little over $100 million. But if you throw out the highs and the lows of all, I think there were 10 or 12 transactions done around teams in those mm-hmm. years. If you throw out the highs and the lows and you normalize it for inflation, it's roughly the equivalent value of what an Overwatch franchise is, is positioned as today. Except that the audience numbers are growing at like five and yeah. six times the clip. Yeah. Right. So what maybe took the NBA 50 years might take a much shorter period of time for the Overwatch League in our example. Sure. So that that kind of um, that and that's a distribution s- story, right? They, the the platforms you talked about lead to that proliferation. That's right, yeah. and and now that also demands a very different monetization model, right. which I would say the industry and and the leagues that are that we're participating in are still sorting through. But it's hard to deny the scalability and the potential of it all, and so mm-hmm. that's what we've been doing here, and and what we're seeking to do is effectively build a new sports and media company that um, that thinks about this generation of audience and about esports as as a platform for effectively building out a new Madison Square Garden or a new Maple Leaf Sports and yeah. Entertainment for a new generation of fans. Yeah. Amazing. Um, let's pivot to sponsorship marketing initiatives. Uh, that's a big focus of what why I do this to shine a light on sponsorship marketing and you know, is there an initiative that you were involved in during your career? Could be up up to recent. It could be going back to your MLSE days or in between. Something that you're particularly proud of. You want to just shine a light on. Well, um, there are, there would be a few. It's like I, picking your favorite child. Yeah, I that's it, right. right? Yeah. yeah, certainly. I really loved, and at the time, it was. Uh, I thought it was very forward thinking of us as a group, but. Um, Michael Downey, Brian Cooper, myself, Richard certainly had a hand in the strategy, but the way we were we were setting up to um, to launch the Air Canada Center, yeah, and the way we were um, contemplating kind of syncing up all the media and selling big partnerships on an integrated basis. Again, it's very standard now, but we mm-hmm. were if we weren't the first, we were among the first to create kind of moments of dominance in the venue mm-hmm. and. Again, not terribly innovative now, but uh, yeah. but it was at the time, I think, yeah. and I think it allowed us to really um, to set new uh, new standard for for team partnerships in that time. Um, some of the things that we're engaged with now just uh, are really like again, I would put our team against virtually anybody in the industry right now. With you know, led by Tyler Keenan and now Allison Walker in the business role and. We've got a great, peop- a great group of people here right now, and they're coming up with ideas every day around, yeah. around what we're, we're building. And, of course, they're all digital in their orientation now. Sure. So 
Um, so that's really, uh, really fun. But um, no, I think it's, it's difficult to put your thumb on any yeah. one thing. It's, um, well, go back I, to even ACC days and, and was there a partnership that uh, once you structured this integrated model and, and dominance um, strategy is a partner that came in, you yeah, know, auto, I, auto bank, uh, no, it's, it's... Well, listen, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've had some luck with, uh, we did a, we took a very, um, a very traditional kind of approach in Miami and made it uh, something altogether different um, around our tailgate position. Mm. Uh, we had, you know, we were able to welcome uh, smaller partners in uh, to the Dolphins tailgate position at, um, where we had a big relationship with Publix. Uh, you know, those deals were initially paying us twenty and $30,000 and we grew that whole program to millions yeah. over a few months. But I, you know, I would say, um, you know, again, a lot of that is kind of old school marketing for those of you that are listening to you for kind of looking forward. I would say our new deal with Bell is yeah. probably as, yeah. as integrated and as, and as meaningful a partnership deal as I've done. And I use that phrase quite purposefully. Bell is now an investor in Overactive Media. Yep. They wrote us a very significant eight-figure check wow. to have a position inside Overactive Media as equity shareholders okay. and also to be our, our lead partner, uh, our founding partner in the telco space. And, yeah. Um, you know, what I was most pleased about that is, uh, uh, you know, just the very integrated approach that we're, we're taking in all of that. And they're totally vested in the partnership, of course, because as owners, they're, they're vested in our success, yeah. you know, on a macro basis. So um, that took some time to get done, but it was led initially by George Cope himself and then by Wade. And, and so it had the highest level kind of executive sponsorship. And so I think we're going to get very creative very quickly about how we make that whole thing sing well, for them. 5G, that's all you need to think of, right? They, yeah, that's that, That's a huge bet. It's it's here now. It's yeah. coming 2020, yeah. and I'm sure gaming and esports is a massive For sure. And they, you know, part of that. I mean, it wasn't like I had to start uh, uh, that conversation with, uh, yeah. with George Coper, with Wade or the team from scratch. Uh, yeah. You know, they they had an open strategic file on esports for a couple of years by sure. the time we got connected. Good. But, but again, I think this partnership has all kinds of potential for reasons you mentioned. You know, the impact of 5G on mobile gaming is going to be huge. You might know um, Call of Duty launched its first mobile uh, version of the game this year and had 100 million downloads globally in three days. Staggering. So what wow. 5G does for gaming and for the democratization of eSport, I would argue, is really substantial. And of course, Bell will be a leader in this country, as they always are. And then, um, you know, what uh, what will we see out of, um, you know, what are today kind of shoulder technologies, but I think have the potential of really changing the way fans engage with sports. So VR is a good example of that. Uh -huh. You know, we watched, if you're a fan of Final Four, then you would have seen CBS advocating for a VR um, integration out of, uh, out of home where you can literally sit courtside through your VR technology at yeah. home and, and watch the experience of the Final Four last year. What VR has the capability of doing and AR has the kind of capability of doing inside of gaming, I think, is yeah, know, to endless. be seen. And, yeah. and so, you know, whatever whatever momentum eSport has right now and whatever um, impact technology has already had to get us to where we are today, I think that exponential growth is real when you start thinking about the impact, again, of 5G and VR. Well said. Um, so you've hit on the trends part of it. Uh, what I'll ask you is, is there a sponsorship initiative? I always like to pick people's brains that, you know, you weren't involved in, but when you saw it, you go, that's, that's pretty cool. I, I just admired that uh, from a distance. 
Yeah, you know, what Hoppy's doing in, in Real Madrid yeah. right now is a, is a huge effort. And again, because he is where he is, unless you're really going out of your way to pay attention, um, I mean, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even register with, you know, so much of the story around sponsorship um, gets written out of North America. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's done a massive deal with Adidas that right. nobody, it, like, it registered in Europe, of course. But, yeah, yeah. Um, and they've got a massive building project going on there that will wind up, I think, in the next four or five years where they're, you know, they're taking that stadium, which is otherwise a global football classic and turning it into a modern venue. And so all the integration opportunities that come with that, yeah. uh, a little bit that he shared with me, I think are going to be very exciting. Good. I think um, I think what we've started to watch Verizon do with the NFL is interesting. Yeah. Again, mentioning 5G, yeah. Yeah. Uh, staying on that topic. Um, I was reading this morning one of our one of our uh, partners in one of the leagues that we play in uh, under Scott O'Neill's leadership, uh, Dignitas, mm-hmm. is yeah. um, is engaged with Verizon, and they're going to build out an entirely 5G practice facility for their teams yeah. in LA. Uh, I think I, I think it's a very interesting conversation. Again, um, technology is moving so fast, and I think the organizations that are going to be leading, not just in the esport industry, but in the sport and media industry generally, sure. are going to need to think about diversifying uh, their holdings a little bit. Uh, we've been talking about it around here, but you know, today we're a team-based organization. Um, but you know, we're we're certainly thinking about venue. Mm-hmm. We're certainly we see deal flow all the time. We've made three very small acquisitions over the last fifteen months, but we've been approached probably about twenty, and a lot of them are shoulder technologies that have the opportunity of kind of building uh, on on the industry that we're in and the assets that we hold. And I think you're going to see more of that. Scott O'Neill again in in. Uh, uh, Sorry, Dignitas is the esport company. Harris Blitzer is the uh, company in which he's the CEO, and they own the Sixers and the New right. Jersey Devils. Right. Scott set up an incubating strategy for young technology. Yeah, I remember I reading they were ahead of the curve four years ago, yeah, right? Yeah. And that guy's always been yeah. super smart, Harvard educated, and yeah. and um, I think that's the way of the future. And I and I, again, I don't just think it's for the Harris Blitzers or the MSGs or the MLSEs. And MLSC certainly has a strategy that they've started to build out here. And um, I think all of us are needing to think about how we have a, a position in kind of technology and innovation mm-hmm. if we're going to stay on the forefront of being the sports and media base. And I think it's really incumbent upon us if we're going to build a you know a modern day Madison Square Garden or Maple Leaf Sports we need to be thinking about that kind of diversification yeah. too so yeah I think it'll be interesting to see how all of it develops and I think in a lot of ways um, you'll see more integrated partnerships uh, like what we've just done with Bell where technology is going to be a piece of how the partnership expresses itself and maybe in some cases partners are strategic, meaning they're actually taking an ownership position in the right. teams and organizations that they're engaged with. As you with. say, true partnership, right? That not, is it. Not, yeah. not just sponsorship. Yeah, 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 exactly right. Where everybody's vested. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, I joke with the team all the time and we haven't, um, we haven't come to it at all. But, you know, you can imagine where we bump into a, um, a place of a difference of opinion with Bell, I can literally just say to them, hey, hey 
look, we're all vested here. So, yeah, yeah. right. And, and again, it just becomes a lot easier when everybody's in the same chair. So sure, sure. I think you're going to see more of that. No, good stuff. Great insight. Um, let's wrap with professional development advice. And, and when I was, again, prepping for this, I came across a quote. And I, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll read it. And it's going to give away your age, but you put it in the public domain. <laughs> You're a very sprite 50. Are you 55 now or still 54? I'm in uh, 55. I'm All right. So the quote read, I'm 54 years old. When you get to the, be this age, sometimes if you're not paying attention, you find yourself in a place where you're no longer relevant in what you might be doing. It doesn't have anything to do with the age. But if you're just going along in your career and not mindful of growing and you're not thinking about how you're going to progress and learn new things, then sometimes before you realize it, you're stuck in a place that you can't escape from. Uh, I just found that very interesting, right? And it gave me a little insight into why you're here. Um, and you went on to talk about how this opportunity led you to, gave you the opportunity to learn new things. So I just thought that would be a good way to kind of lead into the final question about just professional development advice and personal development advice and what what's yeah. important to you and what you lean on. Yeah, so, you know, one of the hardest things I had to do in my life uh, in my career was leave the Olympic Committee. Yeah. Uh, you have had career ex yeah. exposure to that family of people and a great experience around the consortium. And Ten years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I know. Right? I know. Right. All, of my, uh, all of my Vancouver friends <laughs> yeah. like to remind and that's me. That's all going around now, right? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but it's a special community, and, and it does, I think, important work for the countries around the world that it represents. And so I was super proud to be attached to all of that. And... As I've said already, some of my best relationships in my life are born out of out of my time at the Olympic Committee. And I knew I couldn't stay yeah. any longer. Yeah, I exactly. knew that if I was going to continue to evolve and grow, and I appreciate you saying that um, mm -hmm. you know, I have a, a youthfulness about me, I really work hard at that. You know, I, I really think it's important to, um, to be intentional around your learning. And if you're not, then I think it's all moving so fast. It just has the ability just to blow past you and right. not even realizing what's going on. So, you know, I, I really felt like I needed to move. It wasn't necessarily eSports, but I really felt like I needed to figure out how to grow. And and this gave me an opportunity to learn an entirely different industry and speak a different professional language and yeah. all of those things. But back to your question, um, again, I had some really good advice, I think, early days about being smart about identifying mentors inside and outside the business. I gave that same advice to one of my colleagues uh, just this week. Um, it's really important that you have people and, and people who have a perspective. You need to lean on them and you find those mentors inside your business like, you know, Richard or, or Joe for me. But, you know, I've, uh, I've also been quite intentional always about two things. One, making sure I always had a mentor outside of the business. Right that gave me a completely different perspective and was always talking to me about uh, about things that they knew that I wasn't necessarily paying attention to mm -hmm. or, or knew nothing about. And the other thing that I've really tried to do, particularly in the last 10 or 15 years, is, you know, like you, I'm sure, Gavin, you're, you're asked all the time for, hey, can, can I buy you a coffee? Can we have lunch? Can we, can we have a breakfast? Um, you know, by people who are younger than you and involved in other projects and other industries and frankly, who in many cases are much smarter than me on a bunch of things. Mm -hmm. And so I've always tried to avail myself to that and to take those meetings. Um, and, you know, it's usually under the guise of, um, you know, can I be helpful and, and to offer some advice or, or help? But honestly, I get more Not out you. of it than they do, I think. Yeah. Because... 
Well, because they just, they're all, you know, that whole generation behind us are, are got their hands in a bunch of different things and they think differently. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're gamers and they're, and they're interested in international things that I don't necessarily pay attention to. So I've, I've been really intentional around making sure I try to take those meetings. And, and again, um, I do it somewhat selfishly yeah. because I always it's learn. Yeah. I say the same thing. Yeah. I, I tell a quick story of uh, uh, Jordan Vader, who uh, right. is a dear friend, and he's got a great career going and rising up the ranks at MLSE. Yeah. Well, his first gig was working under me as an intern at WWE. And uh, and I took him under my wing, and I and and he was so grateful for that. And I said, "Let's be real here. I'm doing this for me, not you. Because yeah, one sure. day I'm going to be working for you." <laughs> but it's this idea that when you see a smart young person, and you know what it, it says to me, it says humility, right? And the sales training work I do, and you're a sales expert. Um, one of the qualities of great salespeople is humility, and it might be counterintuitive to some people listening. Wait a second, yeah. uh, but what you you just said to me smacks of humility, and it's a great quality to have throughout. Well, right? Thank you for that. That's that's very generous of you. I, I think um, you know you, we mentioned some of them today. Dave Hopkinson, uh, Tom Pastore now with the Islanders. Jeff DeLine was my first intern. Mm. Uh, Josh Epstein was an intern yeah, of mine. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, these are guys now that we all associate with, you know, being leaders, not just here in Canada in the sports and media yeah. world, but, but you know, internationally oh, yeah. in, in case of Tommy and Hoppy now. And I'm sure that story just gets bigger and better as yeah. we go. But I've learned as much from those guys as I learned from Richard Petty and yeah. Joe Bailey and the others that were more senior All than sense. me. So yeah. it's everywhere. You just uh, you need to open yourself up to it. And if you do, it oftentimes pays you more right. than, you, than you're giving. Well, listen, uh, we could, as I say, we can go on and on, but I promised you we keep it pretty tight. So thank you so much for doing this great insight. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks. Yeah.